is written. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. This is going to be a, a very different kind of lesson, really. This is a, a hard one. You see, back before the days of the internet and ways of checking people out, there were all kinds of people claiming to be apostles or messiahs or anointed ones of this or that. And so here comes Paul, and Paul has a life that's very different from most of the apostles. In fact, it's different from all of them in that he came to Christ late. He was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of the church. And people knew that, and they were terrified of him. And then suddenly, they, they don't see the Damascus Road. They don't see Christ talking to him. They don't see the, the, the minister coming to him and baptizing him. All they know is he was persecuting, and then he disappears. Paul talks about being years in Arabia, being taught the gospel, but not by man. And we don't really have much information there at all. All we know is that when he shows back up and says, hi, I'm a Christian now, it didn't go over swimmingly well with everybody. They weren't gullible people. It would be somewhat like a um, Osama bin Laden disappearing for three years and then showing up at your church and say, hey, listen, I'm a Christian now. Uh, let me teach one of your Bible classes. <laughs> what? We would have to be able to check that out rather thoroughly. Well, Paul's life is a testimony. Uh, it, you just look at the, you know, by their fruits ye shall know them. His life is a testimony, but that's hard won. And he never had an easy day in ministry, not one. Never had what we'd call a good day. He, uh, he was accused by the Corinthians of all sorts of things. He sorted some of it in 1 Corinthians, but it was very gentle. And then there was a letter he refers to as a harsh letter that we don't have. And then we have 2 Corinthians, which hasn't been really harsh. It's been pretty good. You know, we've handled it fairly well until we get to this chapter. And my, everything changes. Chapter 10 really showed the shift. In chapter 11 and 12, his language, the way he uses words and throws them back at them, would seem to be incredibly unkind, harsh, sarcastic, uh, full of hyperbole but it was required because they would not stop. And the accusations were many. We're gonna more scan this than read all of it. And I want you to scan it as well. But I wanna point out some of the, the uses of language that he, that he uses and also why he must use it. You truly have to reverse engineer these books. Really all of scripture, because we, it was written for us, but not to us. We have to check what are the people there here? What was the language? What was the culture? And whenever there's a heated exchange, as there is here, and you've only got part of one part, and you have to decipher what's going on, you have to be very careful. But Paul leaves us enough tracks to where we can, we can see what was happening. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 1. I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. And I really think it comes across as, please put up with me. It's not a, please put up with me. Or if they thought that, they're not going to think that within a couple sentences. 
He says, I promised you to Christ as a pure virgin bride. And yet, instead of following Jesus, you're chasing after every false Messiah that comes. <coughs> Excuse me. Even those that enslave you, entrap you. Now, how were they enslaving and entrapping? Uh, undoubtedly by teaching false gospels. And Paul refers to those in Galatians 1 and elsewhere. Uh, gospels that were not the gospel of Jesus. Binding rules upon them, perhaps getting a lot of money from them, uh, and then, you know, that's enslaving and trapping, leading them astray. <coughs> the allergies are rife today. Um, very quickly, a false teacher. Uh, I grew up in a body that declared everyone who differed with us on the, on the even the minor point of faith or practice as a false teacher because the Bible says this and they're doing that, they're false. That's not the way the Bible uses the term false teacher. If you look for an example in, in the letters of Peter, um, you will find false teacher meant that their heart was false. They were corrupt, they were in it for the money, and they were in it for the women. I know, who, who would think that this is a job to get the women? But it is because you're walking into the room, you're a person of some celebrity, uh, of note, other people go quiet, but you are to speak. It is a position of power. There are people also who misunderstand and they think that that's how you are 24 seven. You know, you're, you're not a real human that has all the ickiness and sin that any human has. They only see you like this and they wish they had somebody like that in their life, not knowing again, anything but the public celebrity persona. And there have always been men who have created religions to get more and more women. Like a Joseph Smith keep getting revelations that he needs to marry another man's wife. Brigham Young the same and all of that just happened to have them. And God even brings up Emma, his wife, to tell her, oh, you'd better not mess with this revelation. There's an angel there, he's gonna cut off your head. It's, you have that. And you have, you have worldwide religions that grow, like Scientology, that had the internet been around, L. Ron Hubbard would have never gotten anywhere other than writing his kinda adequate short science fiction for pennies a word. But he made many, many, many millions, and Scientology was going gangbusters, as bizarre a religion as it is, until the internet happened. And since then, they've been losing members because people now can know, they know everything Ron, L. Ron Hubbard said was a lie. Everything. About himself, about his family, his life, everything. And then it keeps going. And by the way, if, you're, if you listen to Scientologists, you'll think that they're growing just all over the world triumph. Now, a lot of their buildings are empty. You might want to look into Re Leah Remini's aftermath and then Mike Rinder and Leah Remini's um, Fair Game podcast. You get more of the truth. That said, there was no internet to check. And so they were accepting the wrong Jesuses, the wrong Messiahs, and rejecting Paul. And they, they, they thought they had reason for We talked a little bit about that last time uh, in chapter 12. But here he goes, verse 5. I don't think I'm in the least inferior, not in the least way, to any of those super apostles. Now, the word really means more eminent, more prominent apostles. 
remember he did come to Christ in a very different way and that really concerned the Jews and the early Christians who were mainly Jews but also the Gentiles coming in they they were susceptible to this this rumor mill about Paul and his stories and who he really was and all that sort and he, he says was it let me let me make myself very clear to you since I'm an untrained speaker that's down in verse 6 they were saying he was an untrained speaker and not not very good at his job he says I robbed other churches by serving you when I needed anything when I was with you the brothers from Macedonia they supplied for it so I wouldn't even have to ask you Now we don't really get that but that's a kick in the gut that's a shame for Corinth Corinth had money Corinth was doing well the economy is doing great the church is doing great the people were not under persecution at this time not in any meaningful way and so they were doing all right Macedonia by the other on the other hand was just completely bankrupt poor abject poverty and the Christians even more so so he's saying when I was with you I didn't I needed something the super poor Macedonian brothers took care of me so we didn't have to trouble you nice rich Christians ouch he says I wasn't a burden to you in any way and I'll continue to not be a burden to you um, he then goes on to talk about verse 12 I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground out from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about they are false apostles deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ and no wonder he says for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light so you got Paul on one hand saying he's an apostle then you got these fake ones how do you know the difference these guys will be false they're gonna be grabbing money they're going to be abusing women they're going to be taking from churches rather than being a net gain to the church they're going to blow up churches and say they're doing it in Jesus's name when Jesus didn't blow up churches Jesus brought together healed and grew his people he didn't do what these people are doing they're deceitful they're false but also if they start slamming other other apostles that's a bad sign Paul on the other hand what's the fruit of his labor truth love grace maybe half the New Testament uh, it is um, it's a pretty good legacy but he goes on let no one take me as a fool but if you do just tolerate me like you would a fool and self-confident boasting I'm not talking as a Lord would but as a fool he is there's a lot of sarcasm and hyperbole here evidently they've been calling him a fool as well he says so I'm a fool well why don't you just listen to this fool boast for a bit since you gladly in verse um, uh, 19 you gladly put up with fools because you're so wise okay he says in fact you even put up with people that enslave and entrap you so you can put up with me for a little bit now he says let me boast anybody out there boasting and they were that was part of the issue he says okay I can boast too are they Hebrews so am I are they Israelites so am I are they children of Abraham well so am I 
are they servants of Christ? And then he said, kind of to the side, they didn't have parentheses, but it's very much a parenthetical statement. I'm, I'm talking like a fool here. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. Listen to this. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Stop right there. Why did they do 40 lashes minus one? Because it was thought that 40 lashes would kill you. So they didn't, they wanted to punish you horribly. You'd be scarred for life and pain for life, but not dead. So that it, it's not an act of kindness. 39, and they, how many times? Five times? Paul's back would have been one mass of scar and wound. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger in bandits, in danger from my Here's a little switch. Fellow Jews and from my Gentiles in danger in the city, in the country, in danger in sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? By that inwardly burn, it doesn't mean I'm so sad and sorry for them. No, it means when they go into sin, I'm such a close, I have such empathy. I'm so wrapped around the souls of my brothers and sisters that when they sin, it, it burns, it reminds me of my sin. If they're crying, I'm crying. If they're weak, then I'm weak. But if it, he says, if I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast of the things that show my weakness. The God of the Lord, I'm sorry, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows I'm not lying. And he talks about an incident when he was in Damascus and King Aretas had uh, closed the gates of the city and was hunting for him. And there were people that lowered him over a basket, uh, in a basket, lowered him over the wall. I'm, my words today, you're, I'm sorry, you're having to put up with that. In Damascus, People put him in a basket, lowered him over a wall, and saved his life. And there, I'd like to, just to take a moment to thank you. You see, there, there are going to be a lot of folk listening to this. We usually run three to 400 that listen to this on YouTube, and a little bit less than that that listen on the app and Vimeo each week. Uh, and you can also now have podcasts, as you've noticed, I'm sure. We're on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google, uh, so the podcast also. I'm just going to use YouTube numbers. Let's say that 350 of you will listen to this lesson in the, in the first week that it's up. Many of you feel like you don't have much to offer God. You're not a celebrity. You're not a speaker. You don't have great singing voices, so you're not leading worship. Or, but you need to know something. Everything that Paul was, could be, and ended up being, could have ended had somebody not held the rope. Somebody put him in a basket and several people lowered the rope. And we don't know their names, but they are heroes in heaven because without them, we would not have had so many books in the New Testament, 
so much information about the early church. So do not think that because your gift is small and invisible to others that it is not world-changing, because it is. Many of you have prayed for us. You've sent an email saying, you know, I don't have any money to share, which is fine. But I just want to let you know that I really love to worship Sunday. You know, thank you, Mesha, for those songs, or thank you, Tommy Holland, for joining us, or Craig Market, or one of the others who do. You know, thank you for that prayer that that man gave, or that that woman let, that, that woman who gave the communion devotional was just amazing. Those emails are ropes lowering us over the walls. They save us, they get us going. You might think it's a small thing. It's not a small thing. Whatever you've got, when you use it for the kingdom, it's not a small thing. All right, chapter 12 says, I gotta keep on boasting. He's just gonna continue here. He says, although there's nothing to be gained, in other words, I'm kind of giving up hope on some of you. I'll go to visions and revelations. And he talks about a man, and he's talking about himself, who, uh, whether he was alive or dead, Paul says, I don't know. He says that twice. But ascended up into the third heaven, and there saw things that were too wonderful and too fantastic. And I'm not allowed to speak of them. No man is allowed to speak of them. Well, here's where people go off, and they'll say, now let's talk about what's in the first heaven, what's in the second heaven, who populates it, how do you move up to the why don't we just give you your trophy and I'm missing the point the point of the story isn't that there are three heavens there probably aren't three heavens it is an expression which means I didn't almost die or like Princess Bride I wasn't mostly dead I was gone and I got up to where I saw things that humans are not allowed to talk about so again it, it does bother me, and there are so many books out there on the supernatural that will find one verse, and all of a sudden, boom, the guy's got a writing career. Be very, very careful. They use language in a different way, and they meant different things. And we don't need to be thinking and working about what's in the heavens. Instead, our job is just to bring heaven to earth and best we can. But anyway, Paul gets up there. Paul comes down. He goes, but if I, if I were to try to talk about it, I'd be called a fool. Because I'd, that's what you've called me. He says, but I'm just speaking the truth. But then he says, I hope nobody thinks more of me than is warranted, however. In other words, he's, he's, got two, he's, got, he's got an audience in Corinth. Some are strictly opposed to him. It seems that the majority are pro-Paul, but they may not be those in power. Those in power can kick out a minister, they can change a church, and the rest of people just going, the sheep are going, what, what do we do? And of course, those that cause the problem then say, well, just listen to us. <laughs> really? Happens in government all the time, doesn't have to happen in churches. Uh, so he say, I don't want to be thought of higher than I should. So these people that like him, he's warning them, listen, I have a thorn in the flesh too. And I prayed to God, there's an example. He says three times. Do you think he only prayed three times? No, and yes, it wasn't three in as three separate incidences. It, when they say three, it doesn't mean an exact number. It's like seven. Seven means complete always, perfection. Three means a lot. I prayed a lot about this and God said, no, no. He said, 
my God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What was his thrown in the flesh? Well, I've had many lessons I've seen where people have run through, grabbed verses and decided he had an eye disease because he writes with such large letters. And these people would have pulled out their eyes and given them to him. No, I'm sorry. Those are expressions that were very common and didn't have anything to do with eyesight. Uh, it was a sin. Paul had a sin issue. Don't be shocked. He told you he did. Romans 7. Very, very, very plain about it. And he's plain about it elsewhere as well. He was never able to overcome that sin. We don't know what it was. Doesn't really matter. Fact is, I have sin in my life. I've never been able to stop. There are thoughts I have, there are desires I have. I've never been able to stop the thought of the desire. Thank God, 99.9999% um, of my bad thoughts don't come out into bad actions. But if they do, and somebody's put me on a pedestal, when I fall, I won't be the only one that dies. I'll be taking them with me and I don't want that. Please do not put anybody on a pedestal. They are all human. They all have weaknesses. And God says, I know that. I knew that before I came. And so Paul spends a lot of his writing time saying, listen, you were sinners when Christ saved you. Do not let anybody tell you that when you sin now, you're not saved. We don't want you to sin. We want you to get better. But it's not like Jesus died for you because you were so horrible and now you're good. Oops, you made a mistake. Now you're lost. That's not the way God works. And I wish people would quit slandering God. He says, no, I've got you covered. My grace is sufficient for you. I got you, Paul. And think about this. What if God had removed it and all sin from his life? How insufferable would Paul be? Or if it helps you, what if God made my life one of stunning righteous perfection how useful would I be to you? Whenever you say, listen, I've just been struggling with, you know, how to, how to love a child is being very difficult to me. And I look at you and go, I don't have that problem. <laughs> That's not gonna help you. You need, you need broken people to help broken people. Get enough broken people together, you got a beautiful stained glass window telling the story of God. But we do have to accept that we are under grace and so are those, even those who oppose us are under grace. Oh well, Paul says, I've, I've made myself a fool. I'm not in the least inferior to a super apostles, but I'm still nothing. He's trying to help them understand your job in the church is not to criticize others. And whatever job you've got is not to elevate you above others. We're all in this together, guys. Let's link arms. He says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the, the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. How were you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. In other words, I did miracles and signs among you, yet some of you were saying I was a burden to you when I was there. How was I a burden except that I didn't allow you to give to me or didn't make you give money to me to keep me my bills paid, as we'd put it, and fed. He says, forgive me for making that mistake. That is sarcasm. And it's biting. 
and it's okay because it had to happen. He goes, now I'm going to visit you a third time and I'm not going to burden to you at all because what I want is not your possessions, but you. I just want you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I'll delightfully spend for you everything I have and expend myself as, as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I will not be a burden to you. Well, this has nothing to do with what Paul just said, but I just want to talk to the, the people out there that are random here, age 20 to 40. All your life, when you were a kid, your parents poured into you and you really dreamed of the chance of the day when you could return and give them something they'd really like. And then when you had the money to do it and you asked them, Mom, Dad, what would you really like for your birthday or for Mother's Day, Father's Day, or for Christmas, what would you really like? And they'd say, not really anything. I just like you to be with me. You don't buy that. You don't think, well, well yeah, I'm gonna be there, but we wanna show you some token of love. I gotta tell you, if my wife and I need something and we're able to afford it, we go get it. We don't wait for birthdays or the like. And fact is, we've been giving away more than we've been buying. We don't really need another thing. But you're just sitting around. It's, it's huge. I don't even need to have long discussions. We can just sit in the same room, watch football, whatever, to, together for a while. That's huge. That's what I remember. Got to go watch a grandson's um, football game on, on Sunday afternoon. My, uh, my Ollie, he's six years old. He, he and I are just buddies and you know, the others are buddies as well. We get lots of hugs and, but Ollie just came over and just stood pressed up against me, watching the game quietly. And as we walked to the bathroom and back for him, he just chatter, 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 chatter. Come back, Stan, he's just there. I would not take a million dollars. I'm, I'm serious. I wouldn't take a million dollars for that experience. Paul saying, you know, I've done everything for you. I'm gonna come. I'm, I'm not gonna ask you for anything because I don't want your stuff, I want you. I mean, even after all of this stuff, he just wants to be with them in peace. So, because have you been thinking that we are, um, we're defending ourselves? He goes, no, I'm defending Christ because Christ, Christian behavior is what I'm calling for out of all of you. And when I get there face to face, I'm gonna tell you what you're doing wrong so that we can move you to the behavior of Christ. I fear, he says, that you may not find me as you want me to be because I've heard that there is discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid, he says that again, that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Paul's coming. At least that's the plan. And whenever he says, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me. In other words, he's saying, I'm not coming in swim, swinging a sledgehammer. I will confront you, but it will be with tears because it breaks my heart. Be very, very wary 
of any leader, politics, business, or church, who wields their power with smugness, joy, or without tears. That's a dangerous person, a very dangerous person indeed. Paul is bringing power, but more than that, Paul is bringing love and a desire to lay down all arms and just love one another. No divisions. Well, next week we'll take a look at the last chapter in this book and then go to the next book. What will it be? Oh, the drama, the tension. You'll find out next week. Cheers. <laughs>